Hey, good morning, church. I'm glad you're here today and glad you've joined us for this time of worship and this time of praise. And as we open God's Word now and look into it for what He has today, I'm excited about that time. So for all of you that woke up and braved the cold weather this morning, thank you for doing that. For all of you mamas and dads that got up and got your kids out of bed and got them here, I know that's not easy, so thank you for doing that. For everyone, we're glad you're here this morning, glad you're a part of our time of worship together. So I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible or a device, we're going to spend a little bit of time there. It's going to be on the screen, so if you want that instead, you can, but there's some things I'll point out that you might enjoy seeing um, in your own device or your own um, paper Bible there yourself. It was a few years ago that a New York City preacher was walking down Fifth Avenue. He was walking down Fifth Avenue at the time. It was right before Christmas, and he was walking with the editor of Reader's Digest, and that gentleman's name was Fulton Hausler. As they walked down the street, noticing the traffic, noticed the hustle and bustle that surrounded Christmas on that two or three days before Christmas Day was going to happen, the uh, editor of Reader's Digest, Fulton Hauser, turned to the preacher and said, you know, it's amazing to me that a little baby born 2,000 years ago in a place over 5,000 miles away from this spot is causing a traffic jam in the middle of Manhattan. And he said he's changed civilization forever. And the preacher looked back at him and said, he's not only changed civilization, he also changed my life. What a great time of year this is that we can come and remember Jesus coming to this earth, God becoming a man and walking on this earth and living on this planet in the same way that we do. We're reminded about that once again this Christmas season. So Merry Christmas. I hope that this time of year is a great one for you and your friends and your family and everyone that you are with. So the last few weeks, we've been talking about Philippians chapter 2, and we talked, Tyler, a few weeks ago, talked about the joy um, in unity. Kelly came back last week, talked about the joy in humility. This week, I want to talk about the joy in service, and sometimes that sounds like something that's totally opposite. We should not find joy in service, but if you've ever served before, you realize that more often than not, you get more out of serving than you give. And it becomes a joy to serve other people, to help other people, to be involved in the lives of other people. And when we love God and desire to serve God, that means that we then serve other people. And so today, we're going to do that. Before we do, we're going to jump into Philippians 2 and read 5 through 11 again. So please follow along with me as we read this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven And on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is one of the most profound texts in the New Testament. This is one of the places where you learn more about the nature of Jesus, perhaps, than maybe any other place. As Paul writes this, and whether Paul used this because it had been previously written or sung as a hymn before Paul wrote it, or whether Paul wrote it himself, 
we don't know, but it is such a profound passage about Jesus. Now, during this Christmas time, as we think about Jesus coming to this earth, as we think about a baby being born and coming to walk on this earth, I want you to think about that in light of what we just read. And so let's put these specific verses on the screen and think about this as it relates to Jesus coming to the earth as a human. So Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It's incredible to think about Jesus coming to the earth and what that really meant from the high... um, from the high places that he was in heaven to the lowly places on earth and what it meant for him to come to this earth. I, I don't think we get it, honestly. I think we can talk about it. I think we can study about it. I think we can say this is wonderful. We can sing the songs of praise about it, but I don't think we fully comprehend what it meant for God as deity to come to this earth and then walk as a human. Maybe what this says here, that he made himself nothing. Other NIV translation says he emptied himself, that, that he poured out He didn't pour out his deity. He was still fully God on this earth, right? But as he emptied himself of the privileges, the prerogatives of heaven, the glory that he got to experience there, he was Jesus coming to this earth. So I want to go back and draw your attention to a few things in this. And the first is the word mindset that appears in verse 5. And I want you to think about this because what it says, this is in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You might remember previous versions of NIV or other translations say had the attitude as that of Christ Jesus. But for a second, can we focus on relationships that I want you to think about? Because Paul has just talked about unity in, the, in verses 2 through 4, talked about unity of believers, unity of a church, I want you to think about what would happen if we did this? What would happen if we had the same mindset as Christ Jesus in our relationships with each other? What if we as a church body said we are going to be people that live this faith out with all of our heart and we're going to have a mindset of Christ Jesus in the way we treat other people and the way we talk about other people and the way we live our lives toward other people? It's not just going to be this like, yeah, I go to church, but it's going to instead be a I live with the mindset of Christ Jesus. There's a certain Christ-likeness that comes when we say we want to have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Again, Paul did not go on and give a step-by-step thing of what to do. Instead, he simply talked about what Jesus did. Because we, as followers of Jesus, live our lives after Jesus did. And so we look and we say, we do not even try to consider equality with God something that would ever be grasped by us. We, We take the nature of a servant. We humble ourselves. We're obedient obedient to sacrifice. We're obedient to whatever God calls us to. So that's mindset. I want you to think also about these words nature and nature and appearance. Because these words, and you may have seen them before in previous translations that said form. So it's say uh, being the very form of God had the role of a servant, um, but being um, in the form of a man. And I want you to know that these words, nature and nature and appearance, what they really mean is this. So in verse 6, when it says, who being in very nature God, it was talking about the inner part of Jesus. He was God. When it talks about that he took the nature of a servant, that was who he was. That was his nature to serve. It wasn't that Jesus just came along and that he just said, oh, I guess I'm supposed to serve you, so therefore I will. What can I do for you today? 
It was that everything about his life resembled serving other people. Everything about his life was to serve other people. It started when he left heaven and it started, or it continued on through his whole life and it continued on when he died on the cross. But notice that verse 8, being found in appearance as a man. It goes from this outer, sorry, inner self, this inner nature to an outer nature. So let's talk about that word nature. Is it that he really was God or that he just looked like God? Was it that he was just kind of imitating God, he was like God, or that he truly was God? And you can find out if this is true or not, not by going back and looking at the Greek, the Greek word morphe there, but if you go and look at it, what it really means is, you look at verse 7, when it said he made himself nothing to come to this earth and to walk on this planet. His nature was that he truly was God. And his inner nature was that he was God. His inner nature didn't change when he came to this planet. But his outer nature, we see him as a human. It was so unique that Jesus was fully God at the same time that he was fully man. And it's so incredible for us to try to comprehend what does it mean for God in the flesh to be walking on this earth, yet to not claim any of the things that he could have by making the conveniences and comforts for him. He came at a time that was so previous to all the technology things that we know today, all the comforts that we know today, not born in a hospital, not born in a kingdom or a palace, but instead born born in a place where animals would live. What Jesus did in coming to this earth was absolutely incredible. But his inner nature did not change. He was always fully God. But when people saw him, he was in appearance as a man. That's what they saw. So think about the service part before we move on. Verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And look at some of the steps here that they actually put in the text that Paul actually puts in there. He was made in human likeness, that he was found in appearance as a man. Each one of these things that Paul says is an act of service. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death. And then Paul goes on to say it wasn't just death, it was execution. It was death on a cross that he became obedient to. It was a servant because, because Jesus didn't come for himself. He came for you. And he came for me. And he lived a servant life for you and for me. He didn't live the service life, servant life for himself, but his nature was to serve. And he loved us and he served us. Think about this. Jesus could, as king, have demanded all the rights of a king. He could have had people bow down before him. He could have had the, the greatest of palaces to live in. He could have demanded that everyone that saw him referred to him as certain terms of royalty. He could have demanded anything, but he didn't. Instead, he came to earth as one of us. One author said it this way, When God chose to reveal himself, he did so through a human body. The tongue that called forth the dead was a human one. The hand that touched the leper had dirt under its nails. The feet upon which the women, welt were women wept were calloused and dusty. And his tears, don't miss the tears. They came from a heart as broken as yours or mine has ever been. And so people came to him. My, how they came to him. They came at night. They touched him as he walked down the street. They followed him around the sea. They invited him into their homes and placed their children at his feet. Why? 
because he refused to be a statue in a cathedral or a priest in an elevated pulpit. He instead chose to be Jesus. And think about what that meant, that he came as a servant, and that he came as one who loved his children. It's an incredible thing. So, Mark 10, verse 35, says this, the end of a discussion about James and John wanting to be, have places of authority in heaven, to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus. Jesus talks about what does it really mean to be great, to be great. And, and Jesus doesn't go in and just go after these guys. He doesn't tear into them as you might expect to. Like, you're wanting, what? You want to sit at my right hand and my left hand? Instead, as a loving shepherd, he gathers them around and he talks about what greatness is that the greatest among you would be your servant. And then this statement that Jesus makes, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that for a second. Because you would think that when Jesus would say that, it would say the exact opposite. It would say the Son of Man, that Jesus, the Son of God, came to be served and not to serve, because why should he have to? He should be served by all the humans, but instead it says he came to serve, not to be served. So why is it, do you think, that we tend to spend so much time on thinking other people should serve us? Why is it that when we go to a place and we don't get the customer service that we think we should, that it just kind of makes us mad? Or why is it that we go to a restaurant and they don't bring us food or serve food in the, the, the speed that we think they should, and we just get kind of angry about it? I'm going to teach them a lesson here. Why is it that Jesus came to serve and not be served, and we think we should be served and maybe not serve. It's our flesh that comes out. It's our pride. It's our arrogance. It's our haughtiness that should have no place in our life, but unfortunately so often does. So what I want to share with you today is this idea about if Jesus came to serve, then we're called to do the exact same thing. If the greatest among you would be the people that serve, then how do we serve more? How do we become people that look at the life of Jesus, that Jesus came to this earth and this Christmas story that we all talk about, but to realize that when Jesus died on the cross, that was a huge sacrifice. He was serving us in such a big way. When Jesus was on this earth, that he was serving people all the time. He was serving people by healing people. He was serving people by teaching people. He was serving people by bringing people back from the dead. He was serving people by continuing to go on when he was tired and didn't want to anymore. He continued to serve people in so many ways. But we don't think very often about how Jesus served us when he came from heaven and came to earth. That when Jesus left heaven and again, all of the things that were his in heaven and what it meant to come to this earth, this sinful, difficult, filled with pain, filled with people who choose evil over righteousness and leave the glorious things of heaven, that he had to flee to another country because Herod wanted to kill him, that Jesus would come to a place where people would spit in his face and curse his name, call him all sorts of names, chase him and pursue him and try to kill him time after time after time again. But Jesus came to this earth and left heaven. He left the anthems of heaven. He left all the angels of heaven. He left all the praise and all the hallelujahs, and he came here to this earth 
for the scorn of mankind that would be upon him. And yet, it was the God, the Creator, in flesh, coming to this earth and living on this earth, loving and serving the entire time he was here. He served as he lived, he served as he died, but he also served as he came. From deity to humility to humanity. He went from infinite heights of heaven to infinite depths of life here on this earth and death on a cross. And he was fully God and he was fully man. From undiminished deity to unprotected humanity. That's the story of Jesus coming to this earth and being with us. And he served. He had the nature of a servant. There's a verse in Acts chapter 9 that you're quick to pass by if you don't realize it that talks about a lady named Tabitha and how she served. So here's what it says, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Okay, now before we go on, can we just stop and acknowledge the note in parentheses that Luke writes there? That in Greek, her name was Dorcas. He didn't have to write that, right? Like, we're content with knowing she's Tabitha. But he has to go ahead and say her name was Dorcas. Could you imagine growing up and your name has almost the word dork in it, but people call it, but your name is Dorcas? I mean, imagine what elementary school would be like. And not just elementary school, imagine middle school, what that would be like to, hey, Dorcas, come over here and get this. Like, that had to be so difficult all the time to walk through that. I, I'm just saying, bless her. That would just have to be such a difficult thing to walk through. Okay, now that aside, I just couldn't go on to that talking about that. Tabitha is actually the first Gentile mentioned in the New Testament. And scholars say that her name actually means gazelle. And so a lot of biblical scholars say she was very likely a very beautiful, very gifted woman in what she did. But notice what it says about her, what Luke says, that she was always doing good and helping the poor. What a description. What a description of life. How would they describe you? Well, she's always doing good and always helping the poor. And so what she actually did was she made clothing for people that needed it. She would make clothing for people in need, clothing for widows, and she would take the money that she would have and, 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 and put clothing together and make it for them and give it to them as gifts. And her ministry was evidently so important that God, through the power, through Peter, the power of God, through Peter, raised Tabitha back to life after she had been dead. And a little revival broke out in that community. And people started coming, and they started bringing the things that, that Tabitha had made for them. And they started showing the things that, her, that she had done, that she was known for. And her little ministry was so, so important. And what she was, in fact, known for was always doing good and helping the poor. Such a servant, such a servant heart to be known for always doing good and always helping the poor to make a difference in people's lives and make a difference in serving because she knew who she was. She knew she was a daughter of the Most High. And because she was a daughter of the Most High, she was going to have the nature of a servant in her life. And because she was serving people and because she loved God, that showed in her life and the things that she did. So how do we, as Jesus' followers, how do we, as servants of the Most High God, how do we be known for doing the things like Dorcas did? 
for always doing good and helping the poor? How do we be a faithful servant like that? So can I ask you a question this morning? Like if, if we put the word always with your name and we said we want, we want to talk, get your friends to tell us about when they talk about you and what you always do, what do they say? Like Monty is always, like what would they say? What would they fill in the blank with? For you, would they say you're always encouraging? Would they say you're always griping? Would they say you're always finding fault? Would they say you're always finding good? What would they say when they say the word always in your name next to it? About, what would they say about what you're doing? You can always find them working. Or you can always find them working out. That's me, by the way, as you can tell with my incredible body. They are always sharing their faith. They are always taking time to care for others. They are always scrolling on Instagram and not talking to the people around them. Or what would they say to others about what you're always doing? We live in a very self-centered world. A lot of people, in everything they do, they're thinking only about themselves. How can they get something that they want? How can they do something they want? How can something come to them that's what they've wanted? We even do this in church, right? We even come to church, instead of worshiping selflessly, we sometimes worship very selfishly. But our world that teaches us to be selfish, and I think it's been that way for all time, our world that teaches us to be selfish is self-promoting, it's self-centered, it's selfish-oriented. And the problem is that if we follow Jesus, Jesus teaches us to do something exact opposite, to be, instead of selfish, to be selfless. In fact, he said the greatest person among you would not be a selfish person, would instead be a servant. Someone that thinks of other people, someone that goes out of their way looking for ways to help other people, someone that goes out of their way trying to serve other people, that's the way they're going to live their life. And so Jesus calls us and invites us to deny ourselves and to follow him and take on the nature of a servant. See, serving wasn't just something Jesus did, it was who he was. And for you and I, if we're going to follow Jesus, serving is not just going to be something that we do, it's who we are. It's the, it becomes who we embody. It becomes something at our core. It's who we are called to be. It's what we are called to be. It's a servant. So as we talk about Jesus coming to this earth, as we talk about him coming to this earth and living this life of service, that he served as he came to this earth, he served as he lived in this earth, he served when he died and went to the cross for you and I, that we have forgiveness in him, and the fact that Jesus went to the cross is the only reason that we have forgiveness. I, I want to share with you how do we serve as well. And I want to give you three um, just kind of just ways that we can serve, and I want to tie them to three points of Scripture. And I want to try to show you just how you could go out today and, and, and start serving in more significant ways maybe than you did even last week. Here's the three ways. You can bring a lunch, you can offer a ride, and you can pack a towel. You can bring a lunch, you can offer a ride, and you can pack a towel. Let's start with the lunch one first. Many of you have heard the story of King David. You know how... Um, many great choices, then even some poor choices that David made in his kingship, in his lifetime. You know that he was a servant after God's own heart or a man after God's own heart. But you look earlier in his lifetime and in his, in his story that he, was, he wasn't great from the beginning in the ways that we see greatness now. 
Like he went out and, and later in life, he would win battles and he would come back in and there would be people lined up on the side. They say women would line along the road and they would be singing songs about how great David is, about how he's our hero, about he is so wonderful and about how great he is in battle. I know many people have probably sung songs about how great you are as well to you, waiting for you to come home. But like for David, what this must have been like and, and, and yet we look at that, that's not where his greatness started. His greatness started when he was young. His greatness, even despite the fact that he was playing a harp for Saul or doing the right things behind the scenes, David was promoted in the kingdom of God because he had the heart of a servant. So he brought a lunch. What do you mean he brought a lunch? He brought a lunch. Look at 1 Samuel 17. Now Jesse, Jesse's his dad, says to David, David had eight brothers. He says, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to their commander of their unit and see how your brothers are, are getting along and bring back some assurance from them. David, before he fought a battle, before he gained victories for the Lord, before he went out in the name of the Lord and fought Goliath, he brought a lunch. In other words, David, if you want to fight this battle, first bring a lunch. First do the things that seem insignificant. First do the things that people would look at and say, this doesn't matter because this is not visible to other people. We're always in life looking to get credit for something we do, so I'll do the visible things that bring me, bring me some type of honor, some type of prestige, some type of glory from someone else. But the way you're promoted in the kingdom of God is never by self-promotion. It's by serving. So for all of you that serve behind the scenes and do something that not many people know about, it's a great thing you're doing, and keep on doing that. David brought a lunch. If you want to be great, what do you do? You serve. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you serve because the greatest among you is a servant, and one of the ways you can do this is simply by being obedient to bring a lunch. Second thing you can do is to offer a ride. Offer ride. That would be simple for many of us to do. But I want you to think about that 553 years before Jesus came into Jerusalem, Zechariah prophesied that he would come into the town riding on a donkey. And Jesus would tell us, tell his disciples, I want you to go and, and secure a donkey for me. I want you to go and get this donkey. I want you to go. And if anyone asks you why you're taking this donkey, you're going to find it. You're going to find it at a certain place at a certain time. If anyone asks you why you're getting this donkey, just say, the Lord needs it. So Zechariah prophesied that Jesus would come in riding as a king on a donkey. And you think about people of fame today riding in someone. You, you think about a king coming in somewhere. It's going to be on a white horse. It's going to be flowing robes. It's going to be with so much um, regalia around it and trumpets on the side making music that here comes the king. And yet Jesus rode in on a donkey. Today it would be a stretch limousine with paparazzi all around the person that's in the limousine trying to get out and trying to push his way through the crowd to get into the building where it's secure again for that person to be. But the modern equivalent of that would be someone coming in, not in a limousine, but on a moped. Barely maybe even running all the way. And Jesus came in not on a white horse, but on a donkey. And so 
the reason this is significant is because the donkey didn't appear out of nowhere. The donkey had an owner. There was someone who was willing for that donkey to be used. Jesus said, if someone asks you about this donkey, say the Lord needs it. And so we don't know much about this New Testament owner of the donkey. We don't know if he had one donkey, if he had five donkeys, ten donkeys, a hundred donkeys. We have no idea, but we know that when his donkey was needed, that he was willing to offer his donkey to give the Lord a ride into town, into Jerusalem. And I think... um, Sometimes our largest acts of service are in the simple moments that we just say, God, I'm willing, and God, I'm here. Because really, being a servant is not something that you do, it's who you are. And it wasn't the old donkey put out to pasture that Jesus would ride. It was a donkey that had never been ridden before. It was the high-end donkey. It wasn't the Eeyore of the day. No offense to you guys that like Eeyore or anything like that. It was the best of the best. But the owner said, if the Lord needs it, and that's what he has need of, then that's what I'll offer because I am a servant of the Most High God. So you can bring a lunch, you can offer a ride, or you can pack a towel. And this next one is maybe one of the most um, profound acts of service that we will ever see. In the pages of the New Testament that's recorded by Matthew and Luke and John, they all record it in different ways. Matthew and John specifically talking so much more about Jesus washing the feet. But the setting is just before Passover. It's a Thursday night and Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. And Jesus is seated there and he knows He's about to give his life. In other, reason, in other words, the, the reason that Jesus came to this earth is about to pass. It's about to be fulfilled. And what happens? An argument breaks out among the disciples about who is the greatest. As Jesus is about to give his life, and Jesus has been with them for those three or three and a half years, they are now talking about which one among them is the greatest one among them. That's the argument that broke out. Literally, right before Jesus is about to give his life, they start talking about which one of them is better than the other one. You can imagine probably John who starts talking and saying, well, I'm probably the greatest. I am the one that Jesus loves, right? He wrote about that all through the Gospel of John. It's like it says, like, go read it. And he says, hey, the one that Jesus loved, that he's always talking about himself, even though he's talking in second person. It had to drive the other guys crazy. If he brought that up around them, like, what? Come on, we're all 12 here. We're all equal, right? But no, not in this moment. They're talking about who's greater. And then Peter probably steps up. Peter says, do you remember that time that we were in the boat and we saw Jesus He was walking on water. He came out, and he was literally walking on water. And and we all sat there. Wait, hold on. Most of us sat there. Most of us sat there. I can't remember who got up. Oh, it was me. I'm the one that got up. Moi, me, me, me. And I stepped out on the water while you guys sat there on your hind ends, not walking on water. You sat there just watching. I am the greatest because I was walking on water. And they probably remind him. Yeah, but, you know, you sank after like three steps, right? And he's like, okay, yeah, you're right. But, and then someone else pipes up, and then Bartholomew speaks up and says, hold on, guys, I would like to say that I am probably the greatest. And they, Bartholomew? Are you really an apostle? Like, really? Are you one of the 12? Just kidding, not really. Bartholomew, one we don't know very much about, right? But yet one of the ones that Jesus chose to be his disciple. 
it's hard for me to believe that an argument broke out about who was the greatest as Jesus was at his final meal with them, as Jesus is about to go to the cross. And so Jesus looks around the table knowing that he came not to be served but to serve others. And he sees proud hearts and dirty feet. And he stands up and he takes off his outer, clo- outer garment and puts on a towel and grabs a basin of water and goes and starts to wash the disciples' feet. All of them that thought they were the greatest and all 12 of them that weren't the greatest are having their feet washed by the one who truly was the greatest. He even washes Judas's feet who's going to betray him not long after that. I think if we'd have been there, we wouldn't have even realized in that moment how scandalous that selfless act of service was. That Jesus, as the Son of God, would be up and would kneel down and would wash the feet of the disciples that are around him. It's something reserved for a servant, something reserved for a slave. It's something the king would never do. It's definitely not something that the Son of God would ever do. You would never expect the Savior of the world to wash feet. And yet Jesus looks around the room and he sees those proud hearts and those dirty feet and he puts on an apron and he gets down on his hands and knees and he takes a bowl and a towel and he starts washing feet. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that's doing this? He's the Son of God. He's the bread of life. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the living water. He's the great high priest. He is the light of the world. He's the Lamb of God. He is the righteous judge. He is the living stone. He is the true vine. He is the King of glory. He is the chosen one. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is our Redeemer. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our rock and He is our Lord. And He knelt down and He took a bowl and He brought a towel and He washed the feet of those disciples. Because Jesus knew that the greatest one among you is not the one who talks about how great they are, but the greatest among you is the one who is always a servant. And that's exactly what happened. The greatest among them in that moment served. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So how can you serve others? How can you become great and serve others? Well, you can bring a lunch, you can offer a ride, you can pack a towel. Because serving is not something that we do. It's who we are. I am a servant of the Most High God, and when I serve others, I'm serving Jesus Christ. So think back again. If people talked about you and had the word always with your name, what are you always doing? How would they describe your life? What are you always found to be doing. She's always, he's always. Wouldn't it be amazing if they said, oh, he's always offering a ride. She's always carrying a towel. She's always bringing a lunch. She's always holding a baby. He's always welcoming people at the door. She's always giving to someone who's in need. He's always praying. He's always helping the people that can't help in other ways. She's always a light in our office, it's amazing what life could be like when we choose service over selfishness. 
So this past week in Arlington, Texas, a few state football games happened. Um, one local school, College Station High School, played on Friday night. Uh, a few of us were there seeing a game, a heartbreaking loss in overtime at, a goal, at the goal line um, to fall to the team. But on Thursday, oh, I need to mention Franklin also, Franklin High School um, being a part of the games on Thursday as well. Um, but on Thursday, Stephenville High School took on Austin LBJ. Um, and it was, to many people, just another game. It was a victory that Stephenville um, won fairly handily. But in that moment, there was something else, a story that you may not know that happened behind the scenes. And so in this next picture, I want you to look in at... Um, some people that made a sacrifice or he never would have been there. Some servants or he never would have been there. So Jonathan, you can cut the audio... on the video feed as well. I say that to you because I want you to know that there are a lot of people that served in order to make that happen. There are people, and maybe even some of you, who have given money to a children's home that over 90% of the cost that it has, and they are substantial to run a children's home. 
Over 90% of the costs are all because of donated funds that people have donated to them. That there are people there that have come in and served. There are people there that have donated. People that are there that have made trips and helped. People that have come and built there. But there's also some people in our time that we've taken our high school students to a children's home in Jackson, Mississippi through the years called Sunnybrook Children's Home. And it's an incredible thing to spend time um, in places that care for children that need help in different stages of life or different moments of life. And we learned about the people that are there are not just people that are there because they're just kind people that are looking for a job, but the people that are there that are working are truly child care mission workers. And they come, the administrators and the house parents, it is a hard, hard role to live in. It takes so much sacrifice, but the servants that were there as well and the servants that came and served and the people that lived there continually at that children's home gave him a chance to be on that football team and gave him a chance to do something that otherwise he never would have. See, God takes stories of things that you and I do that are maybe small and he takes them and makes them into great things because that's what God is in the business of doing of taking things and sacrifices that we make and turning them into stories for His glory. And I think what happened in Arlington on Thursday was a great moment of glory for God. And that people know about it, and that people can rejoice in that moment and rejoice with a kid who's a pretty good football player, but is also in a place where he knows the love and the kindness and the sacrifice and the joy of Jesus Christ. Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So why would we think that we would do anything else? Why would we think that we're here and people should serve us and people should look at us and think about all the greatness that we are and do things for us? See, when you come to Jesus, the focus of your life changes. It's not all about you anymore. When you come to Jesus, the focus of your life changes. It's not about you anymore. And you realize that when the focus is about you, it was never a good goal anyway. Instead, you realize it's all about him. And because of who Jesus is and what he has done for me, I will serve Christ. And then every single day, you wake up and you say, God, this is the day that you have made and I'm going to rejoice in it. God, give me your thoughts today. Give me your eyes to see what you want me to see. Give me a heart that breaks for the things that break your heart because I am your servant. Help me, God, to see opportunities today. I am on call. Prompt me in by your spirit because anytime you call on me, the answer is always yes, God. You may prompt me to carry a lunch. You may speak to me to offer a ride. You may tell me to wash somebody's feet. I will say yes because they need it and because I am a servant of the most Hi, God. That's who we are. Jesus came and had the nature of a servant. And he has given us the ability, the opportunity, the privilege, and the blessing of getting to do the exact same thing by serving others in this lifetime. Don't live a selfish life. Life is too short to live it for yourself, but life is incredible when we live it for God and when we serve other people in the same way that our Lord did. If you've never been baptized and today is the day you want to do that, come on up to the front. I'll be up here waiting for you. We'd love to do that. Hope you have a great, great Christmas. Let's be the servants that Jesus has called us to be. And this song even talks about that. So let's stand and sing this together.